0: Turn to John chapter 13, you find your place there, either in your phone or in your Bible or iPad, tablet. If you've got a tablet, you should just get an iPad. That'll help you be a real true Christian. So, <coughs> iPhones. Um, we're going to look at the account uh, of John chapter 13. It, it's, it follows a dispute that takes place I'll tell you a little bit about, about this while you're looking at John 13. Uh, it takes place in Luke chapter 22, where we see a discussion taking place concerning who will be the greatest in heaven, you know? It's like a staff meeting. Reminds me of Monday staff meeting. You see these guys sitting around, and the disciples are concerned, when this is all done, who's going to be the big shot in heaven? And Jesus is listening in on this, and it's so it's so interesting to me that these guys are concerned about their position one day that they'll have, if they think they'll have, in heaven. And Jesus' heart is broken for the fact that he's about to lay down his life for all of mankind. The greatest sacrifice ever known to man. And so while they're discussing this uh, in the crucifixion, this is on the eve of the crucifixion. Uh, Jesus resolves the debate with a sobering reply in Luke chapter 22. I don't want you to look there. I want you to stay in John chapter 13, okay? Jesus says, "But he that is the greatest among you let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve." Then he asked the question verse 27, "For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat or he that serveth?" Is not he that sitteth at meat, isn't he the one that should be the greatest? In other words, the host that's serving, that's that's reaching out to the guest to To uh, pull them in to enjoy the meal in the home and uh, the environment that he set before them. I mean, he's like the king of the house. He's the Lord. He's the master. He should be the greatest, right? He said, "No. Look at this. The end of verse twenty-seven. But I, but I, Jesus Christ, he's speaking. But I am among you as he that serveth. I am sitting with you as the master. I am the Lord." I'm the one that's hosting this Lord's Supper. And I want you to know, I'm not here to be the big shot. I'm here to serve. I want to be a servant. We're going to look at the servanthood of a disciple, okay? And so this is very convicting for me, so I'm going to find myself preaching more at myself than you. So I hope that God speaks to you the same way he speaks to me, all right? So now we're going to... John chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus clarifies that the servant is rather to be chosen than the chief host and so after he clarifies this he gets down to the root of the problem which is pride okay and that is Jesus sought to be a servant while these other ones are puffed up and arrogant and full of themselves trying to figure out trying to figure out who's the biggest shot that's going to be in heaven who's going to be placed in a position that's the highest and this is all pride isn't pride always the issue yeah. really is it, it's always the issue I was talking to Mike Priest and we were talking about the big issues of life and it seems like pride and lust are the number uh, number one is pride, lust is always number two. And, it, and it, it dominates the American people, dominates the world. It's not just a problem in America. But we see it 2,000 years ago right here, this issue of pride. And it was hindering their ability to be a true disciple. The pride of their life got in the way. So Jesus breaks everything down. It makes it very clear by illustrating what a true servant is. Okay, the servanthood of a disciple. So, John chapter thirteen verse one. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, he he was well aware that this is the time. I would be scared to death. I mean, that's that's my. I mean, anybody's human nature to know that the, if you're going to die is one thing, but you're going to die a, a horrific death, and it's just around the corner. I don't even know how he ate. How could he eat? I would have to be shaking and trembling. I wouldn't care about those guys. I'd be only focused on myself, but Jesus wasn't. So check it out. Now, before the feast of the the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, and he should depart out of this world unto his Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. In verse 2, And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, where I want you to focus on this because we're going to really emphasize this in just a minute, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God. Verse 4, he rises from the supper and laid aside his garment and took a towel and girded himself. Verse 5, after that he poureth water into a basin, it began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a the towel wherewith he had girded himself. Now, the supper was set to illustrate the love, the true love of Jesus Christ. Remember? How many of you have taken part in the Lord's Supper? You know what I'm talking about. Raise your hand. Don't be scared. It's all right. I'm not asking for money. So, right behind me we kind of illustrate maybe an idea of what it may have looked like, the upper room, the gathered together. In Oriental countries and so forth, Middle Eastern countries, they would, uh, they would set the, 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 the stage very low to the ground, rugs, uh, padded cushions and so forth, and sit around the, the area. Uh, and, and this is what was taking place. And they would, they would pass the bread. You think of bread, this big loaf. It was nothing like that. It was an, actually an ugly piece of bread, hard, crisp, holes in it, illustrating the body of Christ, which was broken. And then they'd take the juice. And pour it as an illustration of the blood of Jesus Christ. And remember as Jesus was illustrating to them, this is my body which was broken for you. Not one bone in the body of Christ was actually broken, but it was disconnected. Every bone in his body was disconnected. If you look in the book of Psalms, you'll see a gruesome illustration of the crucifixion. He, the Bible says he looked down and, his, and, his, and it literally looked upon him, his insides out. And I'm paraphrasing here. The crucifixion was a gruesome thing, but he was illustrating through the bread and through through the juice. And when he was done, he took the time to love on them in a humble way. So, here we are in John chapter 13. Jesus illustrates three characteristics of servanthood. Alright, y'all with me? Let's look at them together. So, we're going to look at the first part, and it's amazing how... The Bible takes it in order, okay? So simple. I love when the Bible makes things so simple to understand. So the servanthood of a disciple starts like this. Jesus starts off in verse 1. First thing, a disciple loves the lowest regardless of their spiritual condition. Now check it out. A disciple, a true disciple, servanthood, loves the lowest regardless of the spiritual condition of that person. Now who would that be in this situation? Who would be the lowest? Yeah, Judas. You can't get any lower than that. You're talking about a guy that is about to betray the Son of God. And he's sitting at the table of the Master. But yet, Jesus, in verse 1, the Bible says, he knew the hour has come. He knew he was going to be betrayed. He knew what was about to happen in the heart of Judas. But having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Regardless of their spiritual condition, he loved them to the end. A disciple loves the lowest regardless of the spiritual condition of the person. Here's the verse. Verse 2. In supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. God's son knew that. But yet, he loved the lowest. He was invested in all of them, including the lowest at the table. Jesus knew that the heart of Judas was desperately wicked. He knew in the heart of that man, in less than 24 hours, he was gonna kiss the Son of God and send him to the cross. But yet he loved him. That word there is interesting. The, the love that Jesus Christ had. He said, He loved them unto the end. I mean, there's nothing gonna hinder the love of Jesus Christ. John chapter 15, verse 13 says this, Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friend. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 44, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good unto them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you. Man, I got a problem with that, and they persecute you. I don't know about you, but I have a hard time when people just cut me off. I don't want to pull over to the side of the road and have prayer time with them. I really don't. And maybe you're more righteous than I am, but I can't imagine being in this situation. See, listen, a disciple must learn the value of unconditional love in order to be an effective disciple. It's the love of God. It's the love of God that dictates us and should dictate us. We shouldn't be dictated by race, by sexuality, religion, politics. Let me clarify that. There is sin in this world. There's a lot of sexual sin in this world, distorted mentality of what God has made us for. God made you for a man, for a woman, and a woman for a man. But God forbid the time that we step back and don't love those that have a misunderstanding of the way God intended their body to be used. You say, Well, bless God, you're coddling their sin. No, you're not. You're loving the sinner and hating the sin. The problem with so many people, especially in the independent fundamental Baptist movement, is we're so busy getting angry at the sin, we start getting angry at the man. The Bible makes it very clear, a disciple loves the lowest, regardless of their spiritual condition. That means, I'm going to love you where you are. I don't care if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're black. You're white. Doesn't matter to me. I love you for who you are. I don't care how I was raised. Doesn't matter. So, well, we weren't raised that way. It doesn't matter what the way you were raised. It matters what Jesus Christ says, and we have to be driven by that. We have to embrace that. The The reason people are not willing to love others is because they're not willing to obey God. It's the facts. You see, God commands us to love others. The reason, this is the reason why so many people are struggling to be a true disciple, because they're so angry about things that it's caused bitterness in their heart, and they don't know what true love is. True love is looking at the person's heart before you look at their face. Amen. You say, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh at the heart. We can't see the heart, Pastor Dave, but I know this through the leading of the Holy Spirit, we can, in, we, can, we can live a life that's investing in people and trying to reach their hearts so we can better disciple them. Did that make any sense to you at all? Amen. I know I can't see what's really going on in their life down deep. I can see what's going on on the outside, but that shouldn't hinder me from reaching them. I'm not gonna coddle sin. I'm not gonna compromise. I'm not going to back down from what I know is right and preach that which is right and stand for that which is right, even on Facebook. Everybody's declaring what they think instead of what God says. We ain't got time for that. Nobody cares what you think. We only care what God says. So I just think this, and I think this, and I'm just gonna type this, and I'm gonna type this. Well, you just type, tap, tap, but nobody really cares in the long run because opinions are like armpits. They all stink. And we ain't got time to hear your opinion. We need to hear God's word. So if you want to give us that, then we'll listen. So if you're so busy dictating your impression of what people should be instead of letting God do that, then you'll never reach people for where they're at, the lowest. If you don't love people, you will never reach people. Do you understand that? 1 John 4, 8. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is what? God's love. Love requires Selflessness listen the bible says to love your neighbor as your what man i just don't know if i can love people like myself you ever feel like that some of you i don't want you loving me like you love yourself i really don't and you're always down and depressed and you hate yourself you hate life and you get up in the morning first thing you grab is a mountain dew and a twinkie and you say here goes love i hate life. and then you get on facebook and you spread negativity and you beat yourself up, I don't want that love coming to me. If that's the way you love yourself, that's not the way God intended life to be. He came to give us life that you may have it more abundantly. So we should have the love of Christ, and it should be bubbling out of us, and then we can give it to others, and they'll be bubbling, and everybody's going to be bubbling happy like Care Bears, you know? Let's we'll just give Care Bear hugs to everybody, and their hearts will melt. That's not really the way it works, but listen, the fact of the matter is, if you can love people for where they're at and love them as you love yourself, it'll revolutionize the world. This means you've got to set your pride aside. Sometimes you've got to love things that hurt you, and eventually it'll help you. You know what that means? That means that friend you have or that family member you have that just irks you, bothers you, rubs you wrong, that makes you want to kill yourself instead of going to the family reunions. <sighs> He said, speak to me. The bottom line is, sometimes loving those people will help you more than it hurts you. You think, this just drives me nuts. But in the end, you want to believe how it'll change your life to love those people. We always want to get more than we're willing to give, but that's, that's not love, is it? Love gives and does not take. Man, I feel like a hypocrite preaching this because I have a hard time doing that. Even, how about with your spouse? You ever feel like you just don't love them the way you should? My wife caters to me. She's so good to me. I mean, she's always good to me. She just had surgery, and she goes, do you want me to make you some eggs this morning? And just, I said, baby, maybe it's because she's on some serious drugs right now. (laughs) It's all coming together now. It wasn't love at all. It was the drugs. When the drugs wear off, we'll find out her love. Uh, but I have a hard time being that person. I wish I was. Uh, and, and I want to be because that's a requirement of a disciple. Your ability to become a disciple might be held back because of your rebellion against God in this area. Because God commands us to love everybody regardless of his or her spiritual condition. So let me reemphasize. The servanthood of a disciple starts with this. A disciple loves the lowest regardless of their spiritual condition. I was a freshman in college, and I had one of my best friends, Misty Carrier. Her parents were uh, missionaries to Papua New Guinea. Her dad translated the whole Bible into the Papua New Guinea language. Brilliant man. Misty bailed me out all the time. She'd do all the reading, highlight, and let me see her book, and I'd study off the highlights. It was great. She was wonderful. Misty would pray for me, encourage me, help me in every area possible. My sophomore year, I remember I was, we were at campus and I was, we were doing volleyball. Very little of it with me. I was just more watching. I remember hearing something and it just stood out in my mind. I thought, wow, that, was, that sounded horrific. It was a screeching, a loud noise. I couldn't, I, I, it had to be the worst wreck ever. And I looked at my friend and I said, we should go see what this is. So I drive down the road. Come around the corner, and there was this car screaming. And right before I got there, some other people got there to help, a lot of students, from, it was literally around the corner. And I looked to my left, and on the pavement was Misty. Oh and then there was another freshman over to the side, she was a sophomore, and this freshman. There were four bodies on the road paramedics pulled up they're helping people praying everywhere a drunk driver decided to take his shut off his headlights because for whatever reason he thought he could hide from the cops that were following him and Misty pulled out without being able to see him and he hit that side of the car he's drunk this is his third offense the one before this he ran through a a motor home literally through through the home So I watched Misty right there on the pavement. I watched as the paramedics worked on her. And I watched over in the Mustangs next to her, the guy that hit her. I saw his face. And I saw him just staring. He wasn't hurt. He wasn't bleeding. And I watched as his mom walked through the bodies... And yelled at him, and said, I can't believe you wrecked your car again. And then I started getting mad, I get angry. And they loaded her up, took her away. Everybody went to campus. I got word back. My friends tried when they got there before I did. My good friend Chad Gamble crawled in the back of this. He's a pastor now. He said, I couldn't see anything. I was trying to do CPR, but the girl that I was working on, she was already gone. It was so bad, Dave. It was so horrific. She was a freshman. She passed away. The other girls were really damaged, and Misty, on the way to the hospital, died. Just, man, that was hard. It was a hard thing for me, and I was so angry. I didn't know what it was to be a disciple, because I didn't know how I could love the lowest, regardless of their spiritual condition, regardless of the fact that this guy probably didn't know Jesus Christ. But her brother was a disciple. And uh, he, he went to the court and looked him in the face and forgave that man for what he did. And I thought, how do you do that? I mean, this is a missionary's daughter. They're in Papua New Guinea and they got the word that their daughter that's in Bible college died. How's that fair? This low life, he doesn't deserve to be forgiven. I was so mad. But I wasn't a disciple. Not at that time. Help me, God. Because I don't, I don't want to be tested, right? I don't want to be tested. I don't, I don't want something to happen to my family, right? Because right, yeah. then God will say, let's see if you're a disciple now. Big shot. You get in front of people and say you're a disciple. I'm not saying that. I got it all together. But at that moment, I knew I didn't, right? Because I couldn't do what he did. I couldn't love the lowest regardless of their spiritual condition. But He did. That is a horrific circumstance, and I'm not saying God's going to put you in that position to test you to be a disciple, but I am saying this, you better analyze your life, because if you want to hold on to the the phrase, I am a disciple of Christ, then you better live it, and you better step up, because your petty little arguments with your mother-in-law are nothing compared to things like this. You need to learn to let go and give it to God. Now, let me clarify the very next thing, okay? Are you all with me? A disciple serves the dirtiest by discarding their own personal position. The dirtiest by discarding their own personal position. Sometimes you've got to set yourself aside so you can serve the dirty things in life. Now, <laughs> look at this. And it's, just, it's so interesting because they're still figuring out in their mind who's going to be the greatest in heaven, even though Jesus just reprimanded them. So the meal is done, so Jesus makes a move, okay? John chapter 13, verse 4. And he riseth from the supper and laid aside his garment and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towels wherewith he was girded. He, he set himself aside to do something very important. To look for a need. Before he washed their feet he had to see the need. Now check this out. Before Jesus took the position of a servant. He looked for the needs around him. In other words he was observant to what was taking place. Two ways. Spiritually and physically he saw the pride. And he saw their dirty feet. See there was no servant standing at the door to welcome them to wash their feet. So let me break it down so you have a better understanding. In the Middle East this is basically the way it worked they would go out of their way to wash, the, the servant would wash the feet. Let me clarify something before I get into that, okay? Let me make sure you understand this. Before it ever came to that point, to take the initiative to wash the feet, he noticed the feet. You see what I'm saying? He noticed there was a problem, not just with the heart, but with the filthy feet that were under the table that shouldn't have been there. So Jesus was being very deliberate about looking around him to notice the needs that were there. The... I guess the best way to illustrate this, I I got this ready last night. There's the little boy in junior church, and um, who rides our bus. And every Sunday, I'd see him, and I'd be like, "That little guy, his coat was just a mess." And I thought, "We gotta have this." Was when we had the coat, uh, the boxes, and we throw coats in there and so forth. I thought, "I need to get him a coat. Surely there's a good coat around here." Walking around, one of the ladies noticed what I was doing. Then another lady noticed, paid attention to the problem, the need, what I was doing. Three ladies did. And all of a sudden, instead of me getting a coat out of a box that was used, they said, let us buy him a coat. Could you go get him? So I got the little guy with the glasses, brought him in there. They met him. They noticed he not only needed a coat, but maybe some shoes, some socks. Next thing you know, they got him a whole wardrobe. Is that cool? They they invested in him. So they got it all together. We brought it to him. This is him after he got it. His glasses are always crooked. And he's just all standing there all excited. And uh, I don't know who the other little knothead is next to me. Just kidding. That's my son. He's a good looking kid. He better enjoy that hair while it lasts. So, so this little guy was sitting in there and maybe thought nobody was noticing, but somebody noticed the problem, the need and intervene see the first thing jesus did before he washed the feet is he saw the need we're so busy looking around at our problems and pounding about our problems you forget about everybody else's problems and the best way to solve your problem is investing in other people's problems So why well, i need money i found more i give the more i get you know investing in people look for a need and fill the need Some of you are too busy looking at your needs and forgetting about everybody else's needs. Let me tell you, this is not the way Jesus intended it to be. Jesus was a disciple and he showed the stewardship and the ability to be a disciple by looking for the needs of the people. The disciple serves the dirtiest by discarding their own personal position. Now check it out. Let's go back to the dirty feet thing, all right? Jesus took the position of a servant. He laid off his garment to the side and put on this garment, the apron, if you would, of a servant. Not just any kind of servant, but a slave. Because not even the Jews would want to serve a guest at the door and wash their feet. They usually would get a Gentile. But this is the way it would work. They come to the door. They greet the person. The first step in the Middle East was to kiss them. <laughs> I'm just not, Dave, you come to my house. I will not be kissing you at the front door, bro. Then ain't happen. Not even with the holy kiss. But they would kiss them. A guest expected to be greeted with a, a, with a kiss. Even Jesus in Luke, Luke chapter 7 verse 45, he was, he was not greeted by a Pharisee and he asked the question, you did not greet me with a kiss. Judas later on this night kisses Jesus on the cheek. That was his way of greeting, but he was actually deceiving. You see? So they would greet with a kiss and then they would remove the shoes at the door. A lot of us do that still today. But back then it was a little different. Uh, they... They would, they would remove the shoes because the table was set low and the cushions there, and they couldn't, they'd sit on, on their feet and they'd mess up the cushions, like sitting on the couch and putting your feet on the couch. So they, they would remove the shoes. This became a cultural thing. And this is also why you see in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 5, Moses was asked to remove his shoes. He was on holy ground because he represented, he was represented in front of the presence of Almighty God. The glory of God was there, and he was his guest. Remove your shoes, you're in the presence of of the Savior. And then they would take the next step and wash the feet. Now, washing the feet is the lowest thing you could possibly do. Like I said, Jews wouldn't do it. The Gentiles would do it. They would call on a Gentile to do it, if possible. Listen, I don't know about you, but feet are nasty. Y'all follow me? Aren't feet nasty? I don't like feet. I'm not being mean, but Richard, our sound guy, man, his feet look like E.T. toes. I mean, he could touch me with his toes from where he's sitting up in the balcony. (laughs) Uh, This is going to be fun because Tony's not here, but Pastor Tony, when we were teenagers, when we was in high school, he had the nastiest feet. probably still does. I don't check out his feet, but (laughs) me and him shared a bedroom together, and every night I'd be like, good grief, man. Burn your socks. They smell horrific, (laughs) and then he pulled this stuff out of the drawer, and he do his feet, and he'd be like, his feet would be like white, then he'd leave the room, and when he'd leave, there'd be footprints, like Scooby-Doo was looking for a mystery, <laughs> every stinking night, I had to smell those, and have this in my bedroom, all over the floor, it was horrific, and, and, and still today, God help Jenny, I don't know if he still does, deals with the feet problem, but I'm going to tell you something, feet are nasty, and this is why it was such a wonderful illustration to the disciples that Jesus Christ was willing to go to the nastiest to love them and, and to be a servant to them and wash the feet. An effective way of doing things. They'd pour the water over the feet and one foot at a time... They would begin to wash them, not both feet, just one foot at a time, and they'd have the apron around them and they'd reach down, wipe the feet, clean them from the journey and the dust and so forth because the shoes were sandals. Very common. But the interesting thing is he did this in the midst of, the, in the midst of this thought of being the greatest in the kingdom. One at a time. Twelve, possibly twelve, I don't know if Judas was still there at the time, and washed their feet Man, that is a disciple. That's a true servant. Now listen, an effective disciple is willing to remove their status, their stature, to get to the point where that person is. It's, it, there's no big shots. You follow me? You say, well, I'm a CEO. Well, that doesn't matter to Jesus Christ. It didn't matter to that little boy. It doesn't matter to the people who are coming in the church for the first time. They just want to know you love them. You say, well, I don't know. I don't like the way they look. They have BO and they have nasty hair. and Listen, we're so busy looking at that, we're forgetting that Jesus Christ was a disciple that served the dirtiest by discarding his own position. Who was he? He was the Son of God. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, but Jesus made himself, but made himself a what? No reputation. Emptied himself of self-worth and took upon the form of a what? Servant and was made in the likeness of men. Listen, he was literally removing his position to stand in the position of a man to reach them where they were. You following me? That is a disciple. I tell you, something just nasty I heard and made me think how far people would go. I have a dog. Y'all heard me talk about Hank. He looks like a horse. He's a Great Dane. Hank drives me nuts. Dumbest dog on the face of the earth. (laughs) He is. Don't feel sorry for him. He's all right. He's a big guy. But there's a guy I heard about that had a dog in his uh, septic tank busted through. And the dog's in the backyard. The dog fell in the septic tank. It was horrific. Really? Yeah. Okay. So he decided to reach the dog. He had to go to where the dog was because he could not get the dog out. So he went into the septic and got the. Yeah, now you changed it, right? He got the dog out. Man, that to me, I couldn't do that for Hank. Don't tell my wife she's not here. It's her dog. I'd have to put the lid back on. i tell my kids, you know, the bathroom's good to go, kids. Flush away. <laughs> but he didn't do that. I guess the point of the story is this. How far are you willing to go to get somebody out of their position that they're in? Are you willing to reach people where they're at? How far are you willing to take it to help people? Now, number three, and I close, a disciple lives the example by implementing the disposition of Christ. Lives the example. In other words, the Bible goes on in chapter 13, 12 through 16, and he said, did you see what I just did? I'm gonna paraphrase, you ready? He said, did you see what I just did? Am I not the master and the Lord of this? They said, yes. Do I deserve to do this? No. No, but I want you to follow my lead and serve each other the same way I just served you. Get your mind off yourself and start serving where you need to serve. Quit worrying if you're gonna get your seat in here and find out if you need to serve somewhere else. You know, we got too many pew warmers. I just wanna show up and just thing, 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 worship, 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 and I do too. But there's a lot of things that need to be done and it takes a servant to serve. Big church with a lot of needs you got to be willing to do it. And right here we see a disciple lives the example. So Jesus says, look at my example and do it. The Bible says in verse 15, For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Serving should not be what we do, but who we are. Should be every day who we are. This is just what I am. I'm a servant. Jesus embodied servanthood and lived it every single day. Before he ever went to the cross, the hours before he was nailed to the cross, he was doing it. Man, what an example. What a powerful thing to see the life of Jesus Christ. People are looking for something to believe in. You know that? All over America, they're looking for something to believe in. They're looking for a hero. They're looking for somebody to look up to. Kids are looking for something to to, to look to and, and believe in. So I say to you, give them something to believe in. Be thou the example, as the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. You are the example. You are the purpose. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. You need to be the example to the ones around you in your work, in your school, wherever you may be, especially in the church. Because they are looking for something to believe in. And what better to believe in than somebody that's a disciple of Jesus Christ that lives the example embodies what servanthood is that Jesus Christ did. That is where it's at. America is shorthanded on examples to live by. We are. It's a horrible thing. But the church is not far behind. Church is lacking seriously. Y'all follow me? Dale Moody said a good example is far better than a good perception. I am looking for a good example for my children. I want somebody to embody it and live it. I wonder if you're willing to step up I want to say this in clu- the conclusion, closing. John chapter 13, verse 17, he kind of closes things out. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. Wow, isn't that simple? I mean, he just sums it up so easy. It's just bam, 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 all the way down. And he says, if you know these things are right, you're going to be happy if you do them. You're going to be happier, little depressed ones that go home and pop pills all day and, and probably really didn't have to. Because you'll find out that your depression is self-inflicted. You're too busy looking at yourself. And Jesus says, happy is the man that invests in others. Take me by example, Jesus said, and do these things. I'm going to ask you this question. What purpose do you serve? Does that make sense to you? What purpose do you serve? Because that purpose will ultimately determine your level of discipleship. Your level of joy in life. Who are you serving? Where are you at? Is it all about you or is it all about others? Are you serving self? Are you serving Christ through others? Loving God, loving others, serving both. Before we close in prayer, I ask you one more thing. What do people get? What do people get when they get you and what do people lose when they lose you? What do people get when they get you? And what do people get when they lose you? What are they losing by you leaving? Is that church going to go, man, they were such an asset. What a blessing. I hate that they're moving. When people join the church, are the people going, what a blessing they are to be a part of this body. Oh, look what we're getting. A true disciple of Jesus Christ. They love people. They love God. And they're serving both. What a blessing. What do they, people get when they get you? And what do they lose? when they lose you it's something to think about and I'm going to tell you because the essence the very thing the level of servanthood you choose to have is determined by how much you're willing to serve how far are you willing to go